In this episode, I'll talk about the idea of dominance and submissiveness, and it's going to be less of a scientific dissertation and more of a discussion of those terms and the practical application of them in real life. So here we go, episode 139, Dominant and Submissive. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Now, before I get into the main topic of this podcast, I wanted to tell a little story about googly eyes and the power of belief. Specifically, the power of believing when something is possible. So bear with me here. (laughs) I think that in life, there are situations uh, where something just needs a pair of googly eyes. (laughs) I have found this to be true. So I ordered a a package of googly eyes on uh, Amazon. I know, I know, but I did. Very convenient. And I got a package of the googly eyes and then I had something I wanted to put the googly eyes on and discovered that they were not uh, self-adhesive. So I would have had to get like a drop of glue or something. Now I'll take, I'll be inspired to take the first step of getting the googly eyes and putting it on something. But if I have to do two steps of like get the googly eyes and then go get a little drop of glue, like (laughs) it's not gonna happen. So it was just a small package, it was inexpensive. So I thought, oh, well, and I went back on Amazon, I know, I know, and uh, ordered another package of googly eyes, being very careful to make sure that in the description they uh, confirmed that they were, they had self-adhesive peel back sticky stuff. Well, a little time went by and uh, I found an occasion where I needed some googly eyes and I went to the drawer and I found a package and I went to peel off the backing and I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. Put it down, walked away, rummaged around some other places where I thought maybe the other package would be. Went back, tried it again, could not get it, could not get it. These my little fingers got a bigger size googly eye because they came in different sizes and uh, couldn't get that one either. Put it down. Ask Dana, have you seen any packages of googly eyes? <laughs> no. Went back to the drawer, tried it again still couldn't get it. And then I thought, all right, well, let me remind myself of what they actually look like. Cause you know how sometimes if you're looking for, you know, a package that's a box and it's actually in a bag, sometimes it'll be right there and you can't see it. Inattentive blindness. Anyway, that's another story. Uh, So I went, I looked up on my Amazon orders and I found the package with the self-adhesive backing. And it was in fact the package that I had found. So with renewed confidence, (laughs) I opened it and I picked out the exact size googly eye that I wanted and I went to the back and immediately the backing came off and I was able to stick the little googly eye exactly where I wanted. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I tried like 
four times at least to get that backing off. And I couldn't. But once I was confirmed, once I was sure, once I believed (laughs) that I could do it, then I did it. So anyway, that is the power of belief and what googly eyes taught me about it. Okay, so hopefully after that lighthearted story, we're all in a nice frame of mind to discuss the big topic of dominance and submissiveness. Dum dum dum. So it it's definitely sort of a hot topic these days. Uh, it's getting discussed a lot. There are studies about it. Uh, and I think this is great. Uh, this definitely needs to be looked at. There are some very archaic ways of looking at horses and the horse herd dynamics, as well as the dynamic between horses and humans that, you know, are stuck in this dominant versus submissive framework. Uh, So I think this is a great topic. And I also think it can get to be confusing. And I know, you know, in the articles that I've read, um, you know, it often, if they get too scientific, I mean, geez, I was a biology major, so like I can read science, but often it leaves me feeling like, okay, well, what do we do with this information? What's the practical application of this information? What is that? What do, knowing then what I know or what I found from this research topic, like what do we do? <laughs> and so that's what I, I thought I would take this subject and in very broad brushstrokes, just kind of bring it up. This is not, a, again, this, like I said, this is not a deep dissertation in this, but um, we'll hit the main points and hopefully it'll leave you with a, a, you know, a way to practically go out and play with your horse with this idea. So if you read some articles about this, um, it's not going to lead you into paralysis by analysis, or make you swing the pendulum to so far in the other direction that, you know, you're not actually doing anything. So one of the things that I think is, is really important is that there, there seems to be no strict hierarchy of dominance inside the horse herd, right? So it used to be thought there was, you know, the, the horse that's the alpha, that's on the top of the pecking order. And then there's a, a hierarchy going down the line until you get to the least dominant or the most submissive or whatever you want to call it, horse on the bottom. And that's just how it is. And they need to um, set that hierarchy and then it is written in stone. And I have, I personally, in the herd that that I've had and in the horses that I've observed that have learned that to be not true. Now, definitely, it seems very important to horses to see who can move whose feet, right? And that's, you'll see that more when there's limited resources, right? So they start resource guarding and they start to push each other a little bit more. And also, I've seen them playing with this concept of who can move whose feet kind of for fun, right? There's the the bitey, the face bitey game that Geldings will play a lot, right? And it seems like whoever's feet move 
has just lost the game, right? So the winner of the game is the one who doesn't have to move and he can sort of throw everybody off off balance or get them to move. And this has a very lighthearted feeling to it, right? So, but also we see, you know, if you put horses out with piles of hay, even if there are more piles of hay than there are horses, there will usually be a horse that moves another horse away from a pile of hay just to see if they can, <laughs> right? So even if there's not limited resources, it just sort of seems like something that seems important to horses. Who can move whose feet? And so in a purely dominant hierarchy kind of thinking, then it would make sense if you were observing horses and wanted to be an effective horse trainer, then you would think, oh, well, I need to always be the one who can move the other one's feet, right? And so that language is used a lot about, you know, the importance of being able to move the horse's feet and make sure that you can be the one that can move the other, you know, move the horse. And so, and practically, yes, that is very important, but it's not connected with then I need to be dominant. So I think it's possible for me to say, hey, as a training strategy and goal, I would like to be able to influence where my horse's feet go, but I can have that thought without thinking, I need to dominate my horse. And this is where I think it's, again, it's this paradox and it's the nuance that we can do the, we can take actions And it's kind of the attitude that you're coming from that makes all the difference. Because I think there's a huge difference between having a goal as a human who wants to interact successfully with my horse, that there are times when I can make suggestions to the horse and the horse is like, yeah, okay, (laughs) okay, (laughs) I'll do that. Right? And it's not tied to, I want to move my horse's feet, therefore... I must dominate him. I must be dominant over him because that is a big attitude shift. So I look to the horses a lot. I love watching my horses in a herd to kind of get like, how are they doing it, right? If this is their game, then let's see how they do it. And there's a range depending on the horse's character and personality and mood that day and and lots and lots of other factors. So I've seen horses move other horses through um, just energy, right? They they might pin their ears and just go into a little posture shift. I've seen Atomic move horses away while he's laying down. (laughs) And he just has this certain energy that comes up that enlivens his posture and the horses know it. Now, they can also do it through physical contact. I've seen horses just walk up and bite each other seemingly for no reason, just to, because they wanted to move in that space and they're going to walk in and they're going to bite and the other horse is going to move. So we see this a lot and I think it's really helpful to watch other horses. I do it just to learn more about that horse. Like what seems important? What is that horse like? I've seen my horse um, Ovation, who's best, I mean, he's so in love with um, Hotshot, or at least it seems that way because they're always together grazing off the same piece of grass. 
And Ovation will sometimes just walk right up to Hotshot and grab him, like bite his neck and just hold on to it. And Hotshot just sort of looks like, oh, geez, Ovation again. (laughs) And somehow he's not taking it personally. He's not seeing it as a dominating thing. It's just Ovation being Ovation. And I guess he's not biting him too hard. You know, where on the other hand, there's sometimes if Ovation does want to come through, he'll change his energy and Hotshot will get the message and he'll either move out of the way or he'll challenge him and be like, oh yeah, <laughs> and he'll have bigger energy and maybe he'll take a step towards Ovation and then Ovation will move away. So there's a lot more stuff going on and I've found that who moves who can change season to season it can change moment to moment, situation to situation, mood to mood. I mean, I swear there's times that I, I feel like, you know, I'll see a horse and I'm thinking, gosh, they just look like they have a headache. And they're just walking through, pinning their ears at everybody. And everyone's just like, whoa, staying away from her today. <laughs> right? And then other times they're just smushed up next to each other and a different horse can move her. So it's definitely not linear. So there's not a strict hierarchy. It changes, but it also can make, it can be weird in such as like horse A can move horse B and then horse B moves horse C, but horse C can move horse A. So how is that for a hierarchy? And I've seen this happen so much. It's It's been interesting with my, three girls, because I have Natia, Solana, they're, you know, mature. And then Cora came in as a yearling. And it was really fascinating to watch the dynamic because Solana could move Cora. Um, Cora could move Natia, which is hilarious. And Solana could move Natia. So that kind of made sense. But then it would switch around. And there was a, there was a season where all of a sudden Natia was moving Cora. And we're all like, yay, Natia, <laughs> good for you. You can finally, she's huge. She's like 17 something hands. And she, you know, this yearling was moving her around. So we were all kind of cheering for Natia when suddenly she was able to move Cora. And she realized that, hey, my rear end is about as big as that whole horse. And she learned if she backed up, she could move Cora. <laughs> and then it just switched again. And now they're kind of in a, sometimes Natia moves Cora and sometimes Cora moves Natia. So it's fascinating. So there's other stuff going on. And I think, again, this is helpful if we want to interact with horses, we can observe this. What is actually going on? It's not just black or white. Now, I feel like I have to say um, for the people who who have heard me recommend this book, uh, I love this book. It's called Is Your Horse a Rockstar? And it's really cool because it helps you Um, assess your horse according to these four different categories, one of them being dominant versus submissive. And then through the combination of these characteristics, they kind of come up with these different archetypes. And it's, it's simple, it's silly, it's cute, but I find it actually pretty helpful to kind of get a little more picture of who your horse is. So assessing whether they're dominant or submissive, I think is challenging for exactly the reason I just said. So some of you might be like, hey, Karen, but you recommend this book and it has you rate whether your horse is dominant or submissive. And and yeah, I think we can take our best guess. 
But just because I recommend the book doesn't mean that we can, that reality is actually that black and white. And probably, and I think the author of that book would even say the same thing, but like, Hey, we're, we're trying to do the best we can here to try to categorize things. So in general though, um, you can observe whether your horse tends to push other horses around or whether he tends to move out of the way for horses. So for example, it's very important to my horse Atomic to move other horses around. He does it a lot. More He can move more horses than horses can move him. And I've, he's 20 now, so I've had him with different combinations of horses. And so when you think about who's moving who, I also look at, well, how important does it seem to that horse? For Atomic, it's very important. So he's highly trending <laughs> towards dominance. However, there's one horse, Hotshot, who can move Atomic all every time. He, he, he's like three times as big as Atomic. So he can move him every time. It's actually more important to Atomic to be domic, dominant, if we're going to use that, I'm putting air quotes on, than it is for Hotshot. So Hotshot can move him around because he's like, hey, I'm big and I feel like it's so going to go there. But it's actually more important to Atomic. He just is smart and he knows not to pick a fight with Hotshot. Whereas I had a horse, Jedi, who he was always getting out of everybody's way almost all the time. We, he, there was little moments where he would vie for <laughs> could he move um, ovation or something like that. But we, we'd usually notice it be like, hey, look at that. Jedi just got second in line, you know, at the feed pen or something like that. So we could definitely say Jedi tended towards more submissive and atomic tends towards more dominant. So again, use these terms not to get yourself all tied in knots, but just use them to, to try to have a um, insufficiently human way of describing a very complex, you know, character and a complex relationship without getting stuck in dogmatic use of those terms and labels. But with that said, you know me, I like to look things up in the dictionary. So I just did some Googling of what these words actually mean. So dominance, usually something comes up about having power and influence over others. Now that to me doesn't necessarily have a negative connotation. So now I'm kind of switching and thinking about our relationship with the horse, right? Horses can be horses and I can observe them, but you know, <laughs> I'm not going to run a class on how to tell a horse how to be a horse, but we can think about this relationship to what we're doing. So do we want to be dominant over a horse? Well, if dominance is having power and influence over others, okay, I don't know what having power over someone means that might have a little bit of a negative connotation, but influence, I think I would like to have some influence over my horse. So if I look at the definition of dominance and I think it's having influence over my horse, well, that doesn't seem so bad. However, another definition that kept coming up or was 
um, for dominant would be something like coming before all others in importance. So there's an attitude within dominance that seems to be connected with, I'm the most important one, and that's why you need to do what I'm asking you to do. And that doesn't feel so good. However, I think that's pretty common. That's a very traditional way of looking at the human's relationship with a horse. Because the human is the higher species, we're more, this is not my my thoughts, but the human is more important. We have dominion over all the other living creatures, you know, that kind of a attitude to come from. Because humans are um, coming before all others in importance, and so we will, of course, be dominating them. So that's not something I personally believe. I don't think, I mean, humans are special, that's for sure, but I don't think we're um, inherently more important than any other living creature. I think we think we're important. Probably every animal thinks that they're the most important one, Uh, but I don't think it's a reason to say we're more important than everything else. I mean, we can get into a whole philosophical thing about, you know, we are all selfish. We want ourselves to survive. And so, of course, we are always the most important thing. But I don't think inherently I'm approaching horses saying, I am better than every horse, so therefore I am allowed to have power over him. You know, it kind of goes back to my, I did a podcast and a blog called The Assumption of Obligingness that we have with horses. And like, no, I, th- I don't think they are put on this earth to do what we say. I think it's a miracle that they participate in this activity at all. <laughs> That's where I'm coming from. It's like, oh my God, this is pretty cool that this is ha- happening at all. Now I saw an article uh, from Rutgers University talking about dominance and horses. And they said, dominance occurs when a horse forces the other to move against its will. One horse will move its body in the direction of or in contact with the other, forcing it to move. Fighting usually occurs when the dominant horse is challenged by the other horse not moving or responding aggressively. So this is interesting because, you know, we have to look at, well, what do you mean by force? You know, dominance occurs when a horse forces the other to move against its will. Is it... And I think that we can picture situations like that, right? I This horse really, really, really wants to eat from this pile of hay and it, you know, really wants it. And the other horse is going to, you know, kick the whatever out of it until it moves. And so it has dominated it, has forced it. I think two horses can have an idea to eat off a pile of hay And one can pin their ears and move towards, and the other one can go, okay, I'll go to a different pile. (laughs) So what was that, right? So both horses are heading to the pile of hay. One horse pins its ears, moves towards it in a menacing way, says, hey, you, go away. And the other horse goes, fine, I'll go to this other pile of hay. Was that, what was that? Was that dominance? Was that forced? Was it forced against his will? I mean, I guess so, because he probably really wanted that first pile of hay. 
But I think, again, we, we can look at that and we say, yeah, I could describe that in that way. That horse dominated that horse by forcing it to move against its will using energy and physical contact. And that could sound horrible. It could sound absolutely horrible. But you could also use that same language to describe, you know, a horse walking up, the other one pins its ears, the other one goes, eh, all right, I'll go to the other one. And then it's eating. Two seconds later, it's eating a different pile of hay. So I think it's really important to be be clear when we're talking about dominance and submissiveness. And, you know, you can, I've heard people argue about this and it all gets very theoretical and imaginary. And this is why I think it's really important to like have a situation in front of you looking at it and going, okay, what just happened? How are we going to describe what happened? What words are we going to use? But then what does it feel like? What does it feel like? Because when I hear forced against its will, you know, using physical contact, I'm like, wow, that could be really, really horrible. Or maybe it's just the horse making a strong suggestion and the other horse going, all right, given the circumstance, I'm going to go eat over there. So again, and then what can we take that to learn from how are we going to deal with our horses? So, I mean, if I was eating, you know, a salad and a bunch of carrots on it, and my horse came over and was like, I think I'm going to eat that salad, I would probably act a little bit like that other horse. And I might proverbially (laughs) metaphorically pin my ears and go, Hey, and I might shoo him off with no uncertain terms, even if he really wanted my salad and I get him to go away so I could eat my salad. Was I just dominating him and forcing him against his will? Is it that bad? (laughs) So, okay. So we also hear a lot in training about, you know, this calm assertiveness, right? So maybe, so I thought, well, maybe it's not about dominance. Maybe it's about being assertive. You know, maybe that's what I'm doing when I'm protecting my salad. I'm just being assertive. But when I looked up the definition of assertive, it said having or showing a bold forcefulness in the pursuit of a goal. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound any better, (laughs) bold forcefulness in pursuit of a goal. That sounds about the same as dominant. So maybe this calm assertive, like, what do we really mean? If we're going to say, you know, bold forcefulness, how's that different than dominance? And maybe the difference is the attitude. Maybe the difference is the dominant is coming before all others in importance. So I can see my horse as this other sentient being that has equal right to be on this planet. Yet I can assert (laughs) that I do not want my horse to eat my salad. (laughs) Rather than being more of a dominant attitude saying, how dare you even think of touching my golden human salad, you peon be gone or I shall beat you. <laughs> I can't, I can't even be like dominant as it without joking. Cause it just seems so <laughs> I can't even make myself fake it anyway. 
All right. So then I thought, well, let's let's talk about submissiveness. If we think, okay, the, the I think the negative part of dominance is the attitude part. The attitude that I am inherently better and of course everybody else is less than. I think that's the, the bad part. Submission is the act of yielding to or accepting the will of others. I thought, well, that's not so bad. Yielding or accepting the will of others. That one horse, when he got his, that other horse pinned his ears and went at him, he's like, eh, I'll go eat the other pile of hay. So that was a submissive act. They didn't sit there and fight about it, right? Accepting the will of others. Now, what's here's what's really cool. Um, when you look at the collective marks at the bottom of a dressage test, there's a category called submission. And a lot of times submission, I mean, the submission seems like a pretty archaic word. It's easy to think of submission and think of the worst version of that. You will submit to my will. I'm going to tie you up and torture you until you give up and give in and bend to my will, you subservient beast. All right, so a lot of times when the word submission is used, that's what some people are thinking. But in the dressage collective marks marks under the category submission, it talks about the horse's attention and confidence, harmony with the rider, lightness and ease of movements and acceptance of the bit. And there aren't even air quotes around any of those words. Like that's really what it's supposed to be. So submission is not necessarily a bad state, depending on how you're using the word and depending on what you're picturing when you hear that word. So I think the submissiveness, the act of yielding to or accepting the will of others is not necessarily a bad state. It's only if you've been forced into that submission or dominated into that submission because you are my slave. But you can still ask. I think you can make a suggestion. I'd like you to go over there. I'd like you to get off my salad. And I'd like the horse to go, eh, okay. <laughs> right? So horse coming in, hey, that looks like a really good salad. Can I have some of that? And I go, no, 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 get away. Go, go, go. And the horse goes, okay. Was I dominant? Was the horse submissive? Did I dominate him? Was the horse cowering and my slave? No, we just communicated. We had a relationship. And in that moment, I wanted to be able to move that horse's feet. Now, I guess the question comes up is what if the horse didn't move when I did that? There's lots of choices. We have lots of choices between eat my salad somewhere else or, you know, punish the horse violently and a lot of range in between. But the mere act of me expressing my will, what I would like the horse to do, and the mere acceptance or yielding to that doesn't necessarily make the situation a bad situation. It's how we got there and it's the attitude that we do it with. And if you're forcing something into submission to kind of go back to the the dressage collective marks, 
If you're forcing that submission, it probably won't manifest with lightness and harmony and ease of movements and acceptance the way they describe in that score. So then I looked up the difference (laughs) between submissive and subservient. And the difference is that, well, what what this, what I found said, um, the difference between submissive and subservient is that submissive is meekly obedient or passive, while subservient is useful, but in, in an inferior capacity. And I'm like, oh man, neither of those, <laughs> neither of those sounds very good. Now this, you know, and again, this is just, it's probably not the perfect definition. And <laughs> so I thought, well, I don't like either of those definitions because I don't really want my horse to be meekly obedient and I don't want them to be passive and I don't think of them as inferior. And then I thought, wow, for, for once, like the dressage definition of submission is actually the nicest one out there. And so maybe, you know, that's the, that's where I learned about the the word submissiveness, like that's how I used it the most in my upbringing because I was saturated in dressage. So my natural um, feelings towards the word submissive is actually positive. And the more I'm looking through these definitions, I'm like, oh gosh, that's why I don't have this like knee jerk negative reaction to the word submission because you know, what what I learned submission was, was things like harmony and attentiveness and confidence and lightness and ease of movement. So I guess I have to be careful because the actual definition of the word submissive out there is not something that I really want in my horse, meekly obedient or passive. So I, I just thought that was kind of fun and ironic. So it's really, again, in how we are defining the words and be careful of getting into circular arguments using terms that everybody's um, picturing something different when you are using the words and you don't have an actual situation in front of you. Because here's the thing, that with a lack of information, human brains will always default to negative unless you train yourself to not do that. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are gonna be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. 
there's always a one-week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. So then I thought I'd read some articles about dominance and submissiveness, you know, within humans. You know, there's all kinds of like leadership stuff, you know, dominance versus leadership. And uh, there's an interesting few articles about this. And it said um, like that you can lead using dominance or prestige. So dominance being a strategy through which people gain and maintain social rank by using coercion, intimidation, and power. All right. That sounds like, sounds like dominance. (laughs) And then they define prestige is a strategy through which people gain and maintain social rank by displaying valued knowledge and skills and earning respect. That was kind of cool. So I thought, all right, if you want to be a leader and get people to follow you, one way is to use intimidation and power. And the other one is to go, hey, look what I can do. I can do this for you. And they're like, you're cool. I'm following you. And they defined prestige as respect and admiration felt for someone or something on the basis of a perception of their achievements or quality. Now, I don't think my horse is reading my resume about my achievements in life, but they're definitely assessing me. They are assessing qualities, right? So it's um, respect and admiration felt for someone or something on the basis of a perception of their abil- of their achievements or quality. So they are assessing my qualities for sure. They're feeling my energy. They're assessing the level to which they can feel safe with me, how they can understand me. Can they predict their experience with me? And how much do I seem to understand them? And how much am I in the same moment as they are in? And I think that's the quality that a horse can respect. So perhaps it's, that's a nicer way to think about it because it puts the responsibility on me to become someone that the horse would like to respond to, to have prestige to my horse. So maybe there's a different word we can use about that, but that what we look at to human, like, wow, you're cool because I see you doing these things. And I, I have this perception. I feel like I would like to follow you. So how do we do that for our horses? And that's why I think they need to feel safe with us. They need to understand us. They need to be able to predict us. And we need to prove that we are at least trying to understand them. So without thinking about dominance and submissiveness, what are we striving for? We're striving to be in this moment with a horse. Where, where I'm the reference of safety and I'm the clear communicator, I can listen and talk and I'm predictable enough to trust and interesting enough to be worth engaging with. So I think we can have influence over our horses without using force. Now, there are times we need to establish a non-negotiable boundary. 
but not because we think the horse is bad or needs to be dominated or forced into submission. How dare they? But because we're honoring our own safety rules (laughs) or salads. Horses (laughs) have rules about their bubbles and so can we. And I think that's natural. But sometimes as people commit to being non-dominating, they end up being ineffective or unclear. And no one likes being confused. You know, force is only one way to have influence. So sometimes when people try to be effective, they end up being forceful or dominant. And sometimes people worry that if they ever change their mind or follow the horse, they're actually letting their horse think he's the boss. I had someone tell me that their trainer told them to never scratch their horse's itches or the horse will think that you are his slave. Strange. But that's someone who's framing everything in dominant submissive or actually dominant subservient. So forget about dominant and submissive. Those aren't words that I think about when I'm with my horses. The bottom line is I'd like to be able to influence my horse and have my horse accept that request in a harmonious way where there's agreement rather than a forcing of my will onto a subservient being. Now, there are times I want my horse to move his feet out of my way, and there's times I'll move my feet out of his way. We can be non-dominating and still be effective communicators. We can decide to follow the horse and still be a leader. It's all part of the dance of the relationship. The truth is in the middle, and attitude is everything. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.